Hey everyone, welcome to the Delta Flyers with Tom and Harry as we journey through episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Your two hosts along this journey are myself, Garrett Wong, and my co-host, Mr. Robert Duncan McNeil. Hey, Robbie. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good. Good. Good, good. Here, here we are. <laughs> here We're we are. I feel like post-Future Zen Part 1 and 2 is like, that's a, that's a milestone, that episode. That yeah. It was so epic. I feel like now that we've gone over that hump, I'm just, I'm really interested to see what happens. So in a way, you have a Delta Flyers hangover because we had a such a milestone and such a great show. And then yeah. now we're like, huh, okay. Yeah, I wonder if it can keep up. And I wonder, yeah, I'm curious to see. I don't, I remember we're doing Warlord, right? Mm-hmm. Warlord. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Okay. I, it'll be interesting to see, very interesting to see if it can keep up. Like, you know, like I said, I thought, I thought yeah. it was amazing. So, yeah. Well, on the, uh, uh, on the current news front, you are packing, you're getting all your packing done. I'm so. about to leave Vancouver very hmm. shortly. I've been here eight months filming on two different shows, Resident Alien, which a lot of people have seen and, we got a season two pickup and that's exciting. Um, Congratulations. I know it's yeah, very a lot it's of hard fun. to do these days, you know, to break through the clutter. There's so much content out there. So resident yeah. alien seems to have, uh, you know, connected for people. So it's great. Yeah. So one of the things that Megan and I do whenever I'm not in Calgary is we, we make time to watch like a show together, you know, yeah. like we'll watch something on Netflix, like a rerun or something. And so um so she chose a show that she used to love as a, as a kid, um, Third Rock from the Sun. No, oh, that's fine. If you remember the John Lithgow sure. show. And I'm wondering if your showrunner for Resident Alien was a big fan of that show. Because if you think mm. about that show, those are those are aliens in human bodies on mm -hmm. Earth. But it's a comedy. You know, it's it's a, I mean, yours yeah. has comedic elements, but that's pure sitcom, right? Mm -hmm. Um and it's it's one two so John Lithgow, uh, French Stewart, jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Kristen Johnson. So it's four aliens <laughs> in human bodies, and I'm just wondering if your showrunner was influenced by that show. I don't. I don't think so. I he was. So our show is based on a comic book. Uh, oh, Dark, Dark okay. Horse Comics. Dark Horse Comics had a comic book called Resident Alien. Okay. And it was mostly in the comic book. It had a big emphasis on solving crimes. The alien came to earth. He ended up, he was the town doctor, but he got really fascinated with solving crimes. And there was a, you know, I see. sort of a serialized alien on earth playing detective. Um, it was, it was quite different. And I think much darker, uh, the comic book and hmm. Chris mm -hmm. sort of found the comedic way into the show and uh and brought in a lot of different characters so uh yeah so that's where that one came from but well, third, I, third rock's I, a great that i should check it out yeah 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 and i'm also wondering maybe the source material maybe the comic book from dark horse was written after third rock possibly maybe. and maybe. if that's the case maybe that guy was influenced by third rock that maybe. comic book writer and decided to make it a darker twisted you know put a darker twist on it so What's funny you say, looking at old shows, I stumbled the other day, I saw something about an old, old sitcom called My Favorite Martian. Oh my God, uh, yes. Do you remember uh, that Ray, show? Uh, yeah, Ray, um, oh Ray Walston. <laughs> yes, Ray Walston. Ray Walston. Who was on Star Trek, was yes. the Martian. Bill, oh uh, yeah. Bill Bixby yeah. was, I think it was Bill Bill Bixby, Bixby? are you sure? I think it was. Isn't that the... Isn't that the Incredible the Hulk. Hulk's character? Yeah, I think it was him. Uh, I'm going to look it up while we talk. My favorite Martian. Yeah, Bill Bixby, Ray Walston, Pamela Britton, Alan Hewitt, Pat O'Malley. And, yeah, and then it goes on and on. But So this is a, clearly a very young Bill Bixby, right? Yes, I mean, this must yes. have been a... Yeah, okay. But that was... Wow. My favorite Martian was a similar uh, premise. And it's funny when I when I stumbled on on that show i was like oh i should watch my favorite martian before we go back to mm -hmm. season two just to like yeah. look at some you know some of the some of the stories they told and uh sure i think it's a classic fish out of water yes premise you know that yes. uh 
that it's probably been told in a thousand different ways. Yeah. yeah that fish out of water story is so, uh, it's just something that we're all used to from, uh, from the earliest, my earliest memory of a fish out of water story that I, I loved was reading the book, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. If you right. remember that, <laughs> right. that sure. novel, that guy just shows up. He's in modern day society and all of a sudden he's transported to medieval times. Okay. So this week's episode, um, is warlord okay and uh robbie and i are going to here we go hopefully uh, yeah we've got our hangover we've got our delta flyers hangover from watching futures End. all right we'll check it out and we'll report back exactly see you soon all right guys robbie and i are back from watching warlord mm-hmm i just like saying that warlord Warlord. Yeah. Jennifer Lean had a whole different voice than she normally has in that episode. She did. She did. It was a like bit her, of a... her voice changed to this deeper. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought it was, um, as I kind of vaguely remembered, she did mm -hmm. a total, a real transformation as an actress, you mm -hmm. know, to, to not seem at all like the cast we had gotten to know. I will say, before we get into the details and everything of this, it was not my favorite episode. Like, okay. there was, uh, I don't know, I struggled. It was, it was a tough, this was a tough one for me on a number of levels, from production design to uh, guest casting to direction. Mm -hmm. On a lot of levels, I was just like, oh, it just kept missing for me on a lot of levels so, um we'll go through it let's go through it. Uh, uh, let's our, go through it let's, let's go through start it. with some poetry just to <laughs> enter let's, into our discussion in a, let's in a ease, gentle yes. poetic, into it. sort of symbolic way of right and we have the we have the Delta Flyers hangover, so we need to slowly yes you know uh, yes we reacquaint ourselves with everything. So, all right, let's start off with uh, your haiku, please. Okay, my haiku, my haiku uh, for Warlord season three episode of Star Trek Voyager goes a little something like this, Karen. Hmm. Consciousness transferred. Whoa, that's not the Kess we know. Game of Thrones in space. There's my haiku. <laughs> I like your use of the word whoa. Whoa, that's not the Kess we know. Game of Thrones. You could Thrones have put anything. You could have said, yikes, that's not the Kess yeah. we know. Yeah. Okay. Game of yeah, Thrones in space. Very nice. Game, Game of Thrones in space was uh, sort of. I like you know, that. Yeah, it was like. Yeah, that's what know, it was. It was murder struggle. and power yeah, struggle yeah. and factions so. and odd so. alliances and mm. what marriages and who's you know yeah. gonna be with who. It was all very yeah. Game of Thrones. In fact, I think this is the episode that the showrunner for Game of Thrones, um, yes. basically, uh, sorry, the writer of the Game of Thrones <laughs> this trilogy, they watched this episode. And Absolutely, this thinking, isn't. I could. I could put this in medieval times and boom, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Be. So because of uh, Star Trek Voyager, yeah. Game of Thrones fans are happy. There you there, go. There you All right. Go. Here's my limerick for Warlord. Ready. Ready. Tyran survives by transferring to Kess. Wants to rule Alari and nothing less. Tuvok a spy. Neelix so spry. Synaptic stimulator to suppress. <laughs> I, th I like Neelix so spry because right. the dance and the noises he made and <laughs> all the things that Neelix was in this episode, it yeah. was the the entire spectrum of Neelix. <laughs> it really was. Wow. You got a full dosage of Neelix. Yes, we um, did. The, the, teleplay is, is, the teleplay is by Lisa Klink. Yes. The story is by Andrew Shepard Price and Mark Gaberman. Directed by David Livingston. Mm -hmm. We start off with an opening scene. Neelix is getting a foot rub, but we don't really know that. We just see him <laughs> making noises. <laughs> like, okay, I, it's a little less cartoony than what I, you just did. I, just, I don't. 
I was like, oh my Sorry. God. No, what it is sounded happening? like, oh, it's, it sounded like adult film, basically. I mean, he was just like, oh. it sounded like, like Mario Kart, you know, <laughs> like Mario mixed yeah. with uh, some cartoony thing. Yeah, mixed yeah. adult films, mixed. Yeah. I, I don't even know. First time ever seeing Talaxian feet. <laughs> They're large feet. Honestly, they look like um, the feet of a hobbit from yes. the Lord of the Rings trilogy they look like hobbit yes, feet they're they, bigger they kind they're kind of hairy yeah the only issue is they they clearly made a foot um to place yeah. over his feet but they yeah. didn't separate the toes you know what i'm saying so the toes are still kind of like yeah part of the silicone mold always, or whatever it's always so, risky it's always risky. it is risky yeah but i felt that pulled me out a little bit i'm like well, those are fake you know i i didn't i wanted a little bit more realism yeah. on the feet um hey you uh spicing up well we both both paris and kim take yeah, their both, shots at spicing yeah. up the program yeah we right? kind of look at neelix's program and we're like yeah no this is a little a little stiff maybe if we loosen hmm. it up so we make the drinks a little fancier we add some yeah. reggae some you know caribbean music yeah um you bring in the girls volleyball team right um, kim's sport program theta sport, two yes kim's sport <laughs> Which, program you know, but that's a shock to me. I mean, I, I didn't know Kim even had a sport program. I didn't. This either. seems more like Paris's sport program, Theta Two. Not no, a Kim it's thing. actually everyone thinks that it's really yes. Kim's. It's really Kim. Yes, because it, Paris is a really he's he's a he's a down to earth guy. He's just a you know a small town guy, Tom Paris. Oh, that oh, just oh. Wants, wants okay. you know the family life and to settle down. Harry is the one that has these programs oh so you're saying harry's the deviant and oh, not yeah. tom okay absolutely well, you know that's you can go ahead and, and put out that theory <laughs> um i'm gonna say that you choose to brighten up the drinks by changing them to ricari starbursts which i think should be a name for a future drinks with uh tom uh, segment that you do you should name oh interesting something, a, a yeah ricari should, starburst, a ricari right? starburst okay mm, and then make your own creation from that i mean I'll, I'll start even in this opening scene with some of my, I guess, criticism is that, okay, is that clearly we're at some resort, but yeah. what, what is missing here is, is there a beach? Is there a lake? Is there a ocean? There needed to be a mm. wide shot somewhere in the reverse direction. Clearly okay. we're on stage and so, but there's a way to do that so that you don't feel quite so claustrophobic and, I just yeah. felt like it lacked context. Like, what does the rest of okay. this place look like? You know, later on, so you, uh, mm. you know, well, you see people in bathing suits and, you know, swimming things, but where are they yeah. swimming? Like, you don't, we don't see any of that. It should have been a visual okay. effects shot. So I really missed that. I felt like that opening scene felt, it just felt cheap. And it just felt like we hadn't shown the context of where this place is. A big wide shot. Okay, so some type of establishing shot would have been better for you to Absolutely. show, you know, hey, what does it look like other than this tiny little portion of the resort, which yes. everything is shot at, right? Yes. Yes. Um, my see-through shirt. Did you find it sexy? I found it sexy. Now, uh, yes, it was very sexy, but it also reminded me that this was the episode where I walked onto stage for rehearsal really upset because they had made for me this is not it this i not think it. this Are is you it sure i am no no almost, this can't be it. no robbie i'm telling you this is the episode where they made the little like the little satin and silk tank toppy strappy thing that looked like it was made <laughs> for a very delicate woman and they gave it to tom paris to wear to the resort and i walked out there on stage and, and the crew's laughing and i'm like i am not wearing this and so that's why they put me in that very generic sort of vest and a and a, okay. and a yeah okay. this is the episode so i come to work that day that we're filming in this scene and robbie goes come to my trailer i'm like what so i go to his trailer and he goes 
can I just show you the wardrobe that I'm supposed to wear today? And I'm like, sure. And he shows me what literally looks like a very beautiful lady's top. I mean, it is, yes. it is a very slim satin sort of a um, little strap that goes yes. over. And the actual top itself is this sort of it's beautiful black velour velvet materials. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. It's very, very non-masculine. Yes. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, we should be open to any type of wardrobe, right? And whether you dress it more just was not feminine flattering. or not, but it was not flattering whatsoever. It was not no. flattering. It was no. it just looked like it, I was wearing someone else's clothes. Yes, yes. It and seemed very odd. Yeah. Not Tom Perry. No. And so I, I said to Robbie, I said, so what are you going to do? And Robbie's like, well, I guess I, I'm just going to wear it. And so I was already on set. So then Robbie walks on the set wearing his beautiful lady top. And that's when literally everybody, camera crew, the lighting, all the electricians, every grip, uh -huh. every PA that's around, they just immediately start laughing. And and it's not like a snicker. It's not like, oh, no. it's like, a, <laughs> I mean, guffawing. People are laughing so hard. And now Robbie's turning red. He's embarrassed. Okay, And he's like, you know what? Mm-mm. I'm not wearing this. And I kind of remember you taking it off and just throwing it on the ground almost. Like you were uh -huh. really upset. And you're like, I'm, you know, call Bob Blackman, call wardrobe and have them find something else for me. And of course they came up, with, you know, that weird vest combo, that very, very nondescript sort of plain um, choice that you had mm -hmm. to, to wear the alternate choice, uh, which, you know, doesn't really match my see-through negligee top that I had, uh, but it is what it is. I mean, you got to be comfortable in it. <laughs> but I will yes. say, do you recognize my top? It's worn before, Robbie. That's the same top. What that, was that one? Yeah, it's from um, it's from Non Sequitur. So what happens is huh. Libby, when I wake up on Earth, Libby is wearing my shirt. And you know it's mine because there's a picture, um, like a little picture by the bedstand that the camera sort of pans by. And it's a picture of myself and Libby. And I am wearing that shirt in that picture that I take with Libby. So it's the same shirt. They used it again um, in this episode. Exactly the same. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. still very, you know, very risque because it is see-through, right? Yes, um, it is. And, yeah, and up until you pulled it off, point. though. You totally oh, you. pulled thank it you. off. Thank you. <laughs> my svelte body at the time was uh -huh. able to pull it off. Uh -huh. Not so much now, but back then I did. All right, so already in the beginning, you're not happy. Let's move to Kessa's quarters. She's called to sick bay by the doctor. There may be some injuries, right? Um, and she smells a flower. I don't know if you noticed. She's sort of smelling a flower at the top of it. So, uh, yeah. So they sort the of foreshadowing, okay. foreshadowing yes. a little bit which I thought was kind mm. of interesting. Mm. I didn't catch yep. that. I didn't yep. catch that. Um, we jump to the bridge. Chakotay asks, can we beam the passengers out through all that radiation? And we're talking about the alien ship that we've encountered that's totally, um, you know, about to blow up, basically. And as he says that, I'm sort of in the background. It's sort of a two shot. So it's on Chakotay yeah. with me in the background at my op station. And he asked about the radiation. And then you can see there's this shimmering going on a shimmering effect on it's shirts and shirt. i've always been told yeah i've always been told when it's time to do an interview don't wear stripes don't wear like there's certain colors and certain patterns that will totally mess with the camera and that definitely mess with the camera so if you rewatch it guys you'll see this crazy shimmery effect that means it morays it's sort of the way that cameras work with the frames, the frame rates is mm -hmm. they can't quite capture the detail in the subtle movement of stripes like that or reflective stripes. Uh, it's a repetitive pattern. And so it, it sort of gets confused. The computer chip gets confused. And so it sort of creates a weird 3D, like almost like a beam out effect or something. Okay. <laughs> you know, like it, it just can't, it can't sustain right. all it that. Does, it can't process it. So it's yeah. called moray. That's just, the term that I've heard used many times by DPs and cinematographers. If something's moraying, it's kind of, it's, it's like a mirage. So the DP will say like, okay, so that shirt is moraying. It's, yeah. It's okay. That's moraying, what I've heard it before. Put ING yeah. on there. Interesting. So we do beam them over. We get close enough to beam them over and then get out of there without any damage. Right. And I thought it was very odd. Even Rebecca, when we were watching, we were like, everybody's smiling in this scene. Like, why are... It was just confusing what was going on. Like, 
Mm. I was smiling. I think Janeway was smiling a little. You were smiling. I was like, are we smiling because we didn't get hurt? Or I don't know. It just seemed like intense. It seems like there should have been an intensity in that scene. And it was more like information, information, smiling. It was very strange. Huh. You didn't notice that? I didn't notice that, but I'm just I'm just thinking about what you said, and I start thinking maybe um, maybe because we walked in in non uniforms, you know, and everybody was kind of like, "Ooh, nice!" Or you know, "Look what you're yeah. wearing." So it was maybe a lighter um, atmosphere on set, and which translated to this random weird smiling. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So we go to sick bay, and these aliens, mm-hmm. uh, we see them for the first time. I'm there's so sorry. Three of it is, them. There's three of them. It's so difficult for me to focus on this story because I'm so mesmerized by staring at their extra nostrils <laughs> that I couldn't. Them. I, I God, there's four, yeah. and the, the way that they're oriented, it looks like a waterfall of nostrils, or of penne pasta, yeah. or of earthworms that are sort of dissected at the end. Or so it was just like it's so hard not to stare at that. <laughs> what was it without it was being also, mesmerized the I'm, other I'm thing sorry. i noticed was um their hairstyles reminded me a lot of the kazan i found that distracting a little bit i was like yeah. oh, are they kazan or they they seemed like a kind of a, kind of a strange mashup of things that were familiar i guess yeah yeah that's exactly right and that head stuff whatever was on their hair so at times it looked kazan-esque at other yeah. times it looked like leaves, you know, like yeah. uh, lotus, like, I don't know, some type of leaf. Uh, and Or it just looked like, it looked like a turtle shell at some yeah. point. It looked really kind of hard. Like it was, uh, uh, it, it just, again, distracting. It was a little distracting. Of, yeah. But they, they, three of them beam, are beamed over. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them dies, though. One of yes. them dies. Um, and the other two, Aiden and Nori, survive. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the surviving one's names. And the one that mm-hmm. dies is named Tyrion. And uh, another thing just to remind people of is that the doctor now has his mobile emitter. So we will see in this episode for the first time, the doctor not in sickbay or yeah. the holodeck. He's, you know, he's able to move around a little more right. freely. But there he is with Kess treating them. One of them dies, Tyrion. The other two survive. And... Um, and then at the very end, Kess gives one of them uh, a hug when Tyrion dies. And it was kind of an awkwardly intimate hug. I was like, yeah, it's like, why are you doing what's that? What's going on? You don't even know each other. And you're sort of caressing and you're right up in there. And it was a little yeah, long. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, little did we know that the body did jump, you know, the spirit transferred, had transferred into Kess. So already... This was yeah. Kieran's spirit that had gone into Kess, but we didn't right. really so, know that yet, but we knew yeah, something con- was off. Correct. So the consciousness has already transferred, but we don't know, right? Yeah. So what is, it's definitely weird. Um, we head to Janeway's ready room where the two surviving aliens, Nori and Aiden, um, so weird that they choose Aiden, which is a very modern name for yeah. this alien. Like everybody has a different funky name except for Aiden um, and they tell of their their surviving story their survivor story of what happened and of course it's all made up um, yeah um, we go back to Neelix's Talaxian resort where uh, Neelix is waiting for Cass uh-huh. evidently they have dinner plans and we see Bellana in her jazzy swimsuit yes we do it's sparkly and 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 clearly uh, Roxanne Dawson has stayed um, her course when it comes to her physical routine. She obviously still works out. She looks yep. great. And then she's like, I made a few adjustments of my own. <laughs> overcomes the beach body guy with the working out guy with the muscles, all the muscles in all the places and the barely, yeah, so- and the barely bikini briefs that he's wearing. <laughs> and he comes over and he sort of puts a towel around Bellana and then they, uh, they head off. <laughs> And she's got a snorkel and a mask in her hand. Again, I'm like, (laughs) where's the ocean? Where's the ocean? Yeah. (laughs) And we see a little more than this 10 feet of of a set. Yeah. (laughs) Let me talk about a little bit about uh, her modification. Um, So that background actor is actually a friend of mine. Uh, That's Marty. Uh, That's my friend, Marty. Oh, how funny. Yeah. First of all, he's in a later episode. 
um, there's an episode called Living Witness, which we haven't reviewed yet, where mm -hmm. um, basically this alien race has a view of Voyager as being a very evil crew, you know? So it was the closest to a mirror episode that Voyager had. Mm -hmm. So in the museum, you see, you know, uh, the story of the Voyager crew. And this is when we wore the black, um, uh, shirts and we had gloves on our hair was slicked back so we looked quite evil and so right. the opening scene of of one of the early scenes in living witness um it's an interrogation scene between chakotay chakotay and kim are interrogating an alien prisoner that alien prisoner was marty they use marty for that where kim right. is beating up on him and um but this is the first time that that they used marty as background i know marty because he basically um I think I talked about on False Prophets how I had invited a couple of the Ferengi's harem girls over to a to a, a club night because a, a good buddy of mine was a promoter mm. and DJ of uh, an electronica, you know, sort of themed evening. And basically, Marty is in that group of people, the promoters and everything. And Marty specifically um, did a lot of go-go dancing. Like, so we, they would have male and female go-go dancers like up on, right. on pedestals, just dancing to the techno music. And, and Marty was one of those guys, you know, oh, that, wow. that they had to do that. Yeah, super nice guy, really cool. You know, clearly always, you know, like anyone else in Los Angeles, most people in Los Angeles, Marty was trying to make inroads in, in the in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, so his contribution was showing off his superior uh, physique <laughs> as as Bolana's Bolana's boy toy. Boy toy yeah. Exactly. Very yeah. funny. It was, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Transporter room one. Kess is now showing the aliens the transporter room technology, which was really weird. I was like, why is she doing that like yeah. what's going on here well clearly uh, we realize this set up for later yes they yeah, don't understand transporter technology right so they're sort of getting a lay of the land for a later yeah. scene where yeah where they're going to make a big escape um mm -hmm. but she's showing them that and one thing i noticed is the angle in the transporter room we never see that angle they had pulled out the back of the transporter pad and they were shooting like literally from behind it in yes. fact, it was an odd sort of the way it was framed on the sides. It was, mm -hmm. um, it was just very strange to me. It was, uh, again, yeah. I, you know, normally David Livingston does some really interesting visual choices as a director. And there were some really interesting lenses, I guess, and some shots in here. But I felt like a lot of times it was just, I don't know, it didn't seem to fit the story in the moment. The point of view where the camera was was not expressing the character's experience. Yeah. And that was one thing sometimes I felt like with David Livingston personally as an actor, that sometimes he'd have these ideas in his head, but it would not connect to what my character, if I, if I had a lot to do in a scene and I had some thoughts or you know, opinions about that, I would feel like David Livingston often as a director was not connected to that, the character's experience. It was very much about like, oh, there's a cool lens I can use, or there's yeah. a, a trick shot I want to do or something in it. And I felt like, you know, in this episode, there were a lot of those moments where I was like, this just doesn't feel like the visual is connected to the, the character's experience. Um, and this was yeah. one simple uh, uh, situation with the transporter room where I'm like, why is that way over there and they're real mm -hmm. tiny and it's a strange angle and there's mm -hmm. no point of view. Like literally we should have had a close-up of them and then looked back at this transporter and, you know, taken a look at it. Cause that's what the characters were experiencing was, yeah, this is what it looks like. Um, but instead yeah. we were so far away from them. We didn't really experience it. So that was a moment, you know, just a little moment where I'm like, feel like there's a misc disconnect, you know, misfire there. Yeah. I, I hear you. And, you know, and, and, Livingston has definitely turned in some great episodes, and, and yes, absolutely. I, I think I think everybody is uh, allowed, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a mess up here and there, or, or 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 not to be on their game, you know. And and absolutely. I think you're right; he wasn't really on his game on this one. Yeah. Um, so we then, uh, while they're while she's showing them the transporter, she gets interrupted by uh, a message uh, transmission from Neelix, basically saying, "Hey, we're supposed to have lunch." So Kess meets Neelix back at the Talaxian Resort uh, holodeck. And by the way, what is Kess eating? Did you look at the food on the table in front of them? Yes. It looked like she was eating a dead plant. Like it looked it like <laughs> weeds. 
It looked like kind of brown. It looked like the dirt was on the plate. And she was eating it with a spatula. It was like a, it looked like it should have been a fork, but it didn't have fork prongs. It was just flat. Like, do you scoop it up? Is it a trowel? Because you're eating a plant in the dirt? I, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, it was. Uh, but she's more picking at her food. But ultimately, she basically tells Neelix that she just wants to spend time apart. And yeah. Neelix is shocked. Neelix just doesn't understand what's happening. Um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting uh, in that scene because clearly, you know, as an audience member, you're realizing that, oh, Kess has been taken over by something. Like, something's happened with these aliens. Maybe because I knew... She was going to be in a costume later, and I, I kind of knew the direction it was headed. But to me, it seemed that clearly something's gotten inside of her and changed her. And so I was thinking in this scene, like, does Tyrion have Kess's memories plus his? Or, you know, because it was just the beginnings of that kind of story observations for me of like at some moments. Kess was, or Jennifer Lean was playing Tyrion. Some moments Jennifer Lean was playing Kess. Some, and a lot of moments it was this weird mashup of like, mm. you know, which character is sort of experiencing this moment. It was a bit confusing. Yeah. But yeah, she does break up I, with Neelix basically, says, I, I need some space. Yeah. Right. So we go to the transporter room, but we yeah. also find out from Janeway's voiceover that we are now in orbit of, of the planet Ilari um, mm -hmm. at the Altark has uh, been uh, sent an invitation to come visit Voyager, who is the ruler of Ilari, but he sends a representative instead. So now we're in the transporter room and Kess walks in. And as just as this rep beams in, Kess decides to pull out a phaser and shoot and kill the representative as well as killing the, the, the transporter chief. Mm -hmm. um, I guess he was Lieutenant, uh, no, it was Ensign Martin. So, uh, Ensign Martin, we're sorry to, to see you go. We didn't really get to know you. We, <laughs> but, we didn't, but, I think <laughs> that I actually looked that up because I was like, who was that that was killed? Yeah. Ensign Martin is what it says yeah. on some yeah. of some sites. Um, right. The actor was David Christian, is what I okay I saw as I looked into things, and he was he was not credited as Ensign Martin. So I don't know where that name came from. Maybe he yeah. gave it to himself. Um, because it said on that day, the actor in the transporter room was listed as ND background. So there was no right. character name. So I think yeah. he may have given himself that name, Ensign Martin, but his real name is David Christian. And he okay. was killed along with the, uh, yes, the, uh, the uh, representative. And, uh, and Janeway is, is subdued. Wrestling with Cass. Or wrestling with Cass, yeah. And I just want to say that it's it's so good of you to honor the memory of Ensign Martin by looking up who it was. <laughs> I was like, played him in the background. Was like Ensign there. Martin? <laughs> was that a recurrent? Like, did we? I was like, what other episodes was yeah. Ensign Martin in? And I'm like, no, there were no other episodes. No, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> okay, so the fighting ensues. Uh, Janeway calls for assistance to the bridge, and they've already beamed off of the ship onto yep. the shuttle. Um, and they're gone. And um, <laughs> while they're in the shuttle, we see that uh, now we know that Kess is basically Tyrion. We see the full yes. um, the full Tyrion come out basically, and they they oh then they beam aboard Resh, who's a commander of the for one of the commanders of the yeah, forces. They're on the they're on the shuttle heading in. <laughs> they beam this guy on board, <laughs> yeah. and he's. So you see in the back of the shuttle, this guy beam on board and he's facing the back of the shuttle. He's right. turned the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. And he's a big guy and you see yeah. him appear back there. And then all of a sudden he pulls his gun out and points it at the wall. And I'm like, <laughs> if this is well, your best man that you put in charge of 400 people and he sees a wall and he pulls a gun on it, you gotta, you gotta look for a better guy. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, clearly the Alari, the Alarians, they don't have transporter technology because yeah. you know it's already yeah. established earlier when Kess is showing them or Kess slash Tyrion, they're all nervous. Like, wait a minute, so this thing really works? So they they don't know what's going on, <laughs> but yeah. they make it even more obvious that the guy shows up, beamed in, turned around. <laughs> I'll tell you, the minute he popped in, I went, oh. 
I remember this scene now because when I watched this live for the first time when they <coughs> premiered it yeah. back in the 90s, I was so not happy with that casting choice. And I'm so sorry to that actor if he's listening to this, but I was sitting there going, what? what? Well, I, I should say this, I'm more upset with David's directing of that actor. I feel like you can, you, you can if you're a good director, you can take anybody and make them look decent on camera. Yeah, I think, I I, personally, I think. So um, I, I just don't think that David spent any time talking to this guy yeah. because he, he literally, the danger the danger of playing someone who's a tough military guy is playing it so on the nose where you're really talking like this, you know, because I'm the general of the forces. And it's just this, this exaggerated um, cliche of a, a powerful military leader, which this guy clearly, uh, you know, started showing this, whatever he did, I didn't buy it. I just sat there going, yeah. no. This yeah. is overacting. This is overacting 101. Come on, I, stop. I'm, I made so. the same note. It was kind of yeah. big. It was just it was didn't, way too big. Yeah. yeah. It just, you know? I, I remember uh, Rick Berman saying to us in that lunch we had before we started. Yeah. Um, he talked about sort of the, the royal quality, the regal authoritarian quality yeah. That, yeah. that he wanted. But he also talked, I, he mentioned something about, um, we have to be careful not to let our performances get too big yeah. because yeah. the premise there's, there's people wearing rubber on their face and for us, mm. for the audience to believe that they're real, the performance needs to be very simple. You know, if we start getting too mm. big and then we got rubber on some people's faces, it's just going to all look silly. Mm. And I think this is a perfect example of what Rick was talking about is that, it, the, our story and characters are already so big with spaceships and rubber aliens and things. Mm -hmm. And then this actor, yeah, I think just amplified the- uh, He turned it up way too high. Um, yeah. Or at least I'm gonna say David allowed him to turn it up way too high. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I apologize to the actor. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna blame David yeah, <laughs> on the, this one. People should have um, protected him against, you know, all of us need yeah. a little help and protection now and then to make sure that we're doing things well, yeah. I, there's a moment later on, I'll talk about it, where I, I wish, you know, someone had pointed out to me a simple line mm -hmm. reading for myself. In the scene, he also, uh, uh, Kess uses, or or Tyrion uses the telepathy, Kess's telepathy, to make his eyes bleed. It was his nostrils that were bleeding. All oh, the, it was uh, from the nostrils? But the thing is, um, uh, if Tyrion or Kess, you know, uh, with Tyrion inside realizes in that first scene or this early scene that that uh, with telepathy he sh he or she can do that i don't know why we never did that again in the episode like that's a superpower dude like mm -hmm. you should if you can just use your brain to make people bleed out of their parts yeah then why not do it more anyway i thought that was yeah in my opinion i don't think you show that kind of superpower and then you never use it again so um, but it was cool it was cool she does use it again because later when she's grappling with Tuvok, she shoots him back using mind control. Like he flies and hits the cave wall, like bam. This is when she's interrogating him later after she's, she's was captured it mind him. control. I can't, maybe I sort of didn't catch that moment that it was, that was her mind. Maybe I thought it was. Well, I mean, physical. Kess herself wouldn't have been able to take Tuvok and fling him across the, I mean, he flew like 10 feet and slammed up against the cave wall. But didn't she so, physically do that or? No, I mean, I, because she doesn't have the physical power to to do that. Yeah, right? maybe not. She, then I, would, I thought I thought it was yeah. physical because of the strength of Tyrion inside the body. I didn't know it was oh. mental. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like it wasn't clear to me then. I okay, that was all a physical. No worries. We're now in the briefing room where um Demos, the Altarch's right. oldest son and heir, is now explaining that Tyrion's consciousness has taken over Kess. He explains this to uh, to, Jane, to Janeway and to everybody else in the briefing room. I noticed in that scene in the briefing room that Demos, who is the visitor to this space, we're all yeah. sitting down and he's waltzing around the room constantly. He's moving around as if he owns mm. the place. As like he owns the place, yeah. He's making circles around our briefing room table. Mm -hmm. And I thought, it's strange. Like, it felt like it was literally just to move the camera because David Livingston wanted that kind of shot yeah. rather than yeah. this yeah. character would not be 
especially with the captain seated and everyone else seated. Yeah, he's not going to be that comfortable. No, it just seems strange to me. You're right. There's no way that he's going to walk around there like it's it's something that he's done a billion times before. There should yeah. be that sort of that sense of um, unfamiliarity. It would with have his been it would have been he better would... to me if he had been seated at Correct. one end of the table and the captain had just been pacing. Maybe around she's listening. the one that paces around exactly. Just listening. Yeah. He but mm-hmm. he's the visitor, so it just seems yeah. strange to me. Yeah. Also, the I doctor the doctor is in that briefing room scene with his mobile emitter for the very mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. after Future's End. He's yep. in another space on the ship and we never address it. We never, which I thought was strange. Like no one ever yeah. says, you know, even a little tag at the end of the scene, you know, well, doc, there's your first, you know, first meeting out of sick bay. How did it feel or something? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was, it was just surprising that we didn't address it there. Also, I was thinking about Bob Picardo, the actor being in his first briefing room scene, as you know, those scenes took forever to shoot because of all the <laughs> angles. They were just endlessly tedious to get through those scenes. Uh, and I was thinking, there's Bob. He doesn't say anything. Maybe he had one line. I don't remember. And he had to stand there probably the whole time like we always did. So I, I thought that was his first experience. <laughs> Oh, I Welcome. bet you running running through his head, he was like, "Well, my superior schedule, where I really don't come to work except for twice a day, twice in each episode, yeah. is completely ruined by this mobile emitter." He's now thinking, "Oh my gosh, I, I'm going to have to do what everyone else does, which is sit around and wait, buddy." Um, That's yeah, right. It's it's definitely uh, it's a drain <laughs> on yeah. everybody. Okay, um, on the bridge, Kess and company basically have beamed into the main chamber of the Imperial Hall. That's what we find out. Yeah. Um, Kess takes out all the guards, basically, who evidently have a very slow reaction time. I mean, she just shoots one after <laughs> another after, like nobody else shoots at her. It's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, and she kills the Altark right there. And she takes this talisman that she had had, she says, or, you know, Tyrion, he says, right. give me the talisman. This is something I had. This was taken from me and puts it around, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Kess's body. Neck, yeah. yeah. Tyrion's personality. Yeah. This is where I get so confused mm-hmm. and like, wait a minute, it's kind of a possession story, but Kess is still in there. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah, and the talisman, this is where I started feeling like it's Game of Thrones. Like, oh, I see. This is like the sun and mm. the throne and the talisman. Mm. Yeah. Which to me, that looked more like a, something that a slave would wear, like a, like, you know, yeah. that thing that clamps around your neck right there. It didn't look very yeah. regal <laughs> but it is what it is um that is evidently their type of crown that they wear it's a neck yeah. crown i'm going to call it that um we're now uh we're in the main chamber still of the imperial hall and um by the way at the at the top of that act so we come back mm-hmm. at the next act and there's a very cool castle shot that felt like that that establishing shot of their mm-hmm. palace or whatever and i bet that was a dan curry hand painted yeah Matt shot. He used to do a lot of these, you know, kind of a combination of some electro electronic stuff, computer stuff. Yeah. He would hand paint a lot of that and scan it in. And that looked like Dan's Dan's work. It was great. Yeah, it looked good. It looked really good. Um, while they're in the hall, Tyrion uh expresses his desire to have everything look like um uh his reign when he yeah, was he breaks yeah, stuff, yeah, he throws stuff and throw, breaks it at things. One. Yeah. Yep. Um, Amaron is brought in, and that's when Tyrion gives Amaron an offer, you know, mm-hmm. join me or, you know, basically suffer the consequences. Yep. Um, we're back in the captain's ready room. Demos has chosen to stay on Voyager very wisely. Tuvok and Janeway discuss with Demos plans or, or strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're back in the mess hall, and the doctor... Is it right? Mess hall or are we in sick no, bay? Sick bay. Um, sick bay. Okay. I was I like, really? Mess why hall? I wrote mess hall. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down mess you hall. You must have been the hungry doctor. after you watched this. <laughs> yeah, I was. The doctor identifies the transfer mechanism. We find out that it's a cortical implant that was automatically activated at the moment of death. And that basically it enhanced Tyrion's neural pattern and sent it out along the peripheral nerves. The actual transfer took place through 
bioelectric microfibers in the hand of the recently deceased Tyrion. Mm -hmm. um, this pattern is transmitted through Kess's nervous system and then into her brain. And that the only way to combat this, the doctor comes up with a synaptic stimulator, which will tap into the implant in Kess's body and then remove the alien neural pattern. So that's so the basically plan. it's like an implant little thing that's got a, it's got to have direct contact with uh, Kess's body. Mm -hmm. And then it can, uh, if it comes in direct contact, it can remove Tyrion's consciousness from exactly. Kess's body. Exactly. Um, the prince wants to attack the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the rightful prince wants to attack, but mm -hmm. Tuvok offers to go down alone. He says, no, I think it's better if we, you know, uh, one person um, could probably get in with this device much easier than, uh, you know, if it were a single individual, uh, than a big giant contingent of people. So they're the, the Ilarian doctor <clears throat> in a scene right before that basically tries to convince Tyrion choose another body, choose a willing host because the headaches that are going mm -hmm. on, Tyrion is experiencing Kess fighting him every step of the way. Yep. But Tyrion loves these new mind powers that Kess has. And that's yep. the main reason why he says, no, yep. I'm gonna stay in this body, I don't care. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Tuvok comes down and infiltrates the, the, the Imperial Hall and he places it on her skin and yeah. I guess it's not long enough. I mean, no, I, it's very quick. He pulls that thing off like it's nothing, right? And um, captures Tuvok and places him in this cave-like prison. But she captures, right? yeah, they capture Tuvok, but before they find out which guard is Tuvok, she goes yeah. to a bunch of other guards. And it's so funny because yeah. they all have these like, these like veils on their face. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like they're veiled princesses and she's going from guard yeah. to guard and like lifting up the veil and no, it's not you lifting up right. the veil. And then just before she lifts up the last veil, it is Tuvok jumps her and tries to put this thing on, but it's not long enough. And but yeah, she's actually lifting up a veil of someone else and Tuvok comes behind her from oh, around, right. I don't know where he is. Yeah, so he, she's not actually lifting up Tuvok's veil. Tuvok's already kind of hidden or something. Yeah, he's so, hidden somewhere. Um, yeah, um, going to the interrogation scene where she's interrogating Tuvok mm -hmm. and my eyes just bulged out when Kess slash Tyrion kisses Tuvok. Oh, I'm yeah. like, what? the heck i don't remember this i know i don't I remember, remember this at all oh. uh, yeah she's she she reads his thoughts and feelings which oh i thought God. was very interesting she talks yeah. about how you know he's feeling shame for being caught and feeling this or that which i thought was very interesting with this sort of um extra strong telepathic version that that the Tyrion character has in kessa's body that uh, she was able to sense all these things that that Tuvok often feels that doesn't that he doesn't express, and that was yeah. a really interesting side of um, you know learning something about Tuvok that he he does feel these feelings of shame or regret or anger or whatever, but he doesn't express them. He's able to you know keep them in check. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, and then she she tries to seduce him and kisses him, and then Tuvok places his Vulcan hands on her and yeah and yeah. they have sort of this telepathic conversation or fight it's interesting because she brings up the fact or Tyrion brings up the fact that you know you've wanted to do this like you know be with me basically and right. then you start thinking huh is she really tapping into what Tuvok's thoughts were or is that was just some ruse yeah. to get him to be on her side you know I think it was just um, manipulation I, I think okay manipulation right so yeah. Tuvok does the the the, the Vulcan uh mind meld you know and we hear Kess the real Kess saying I'm yeah. trying to fight help this me. I'm trying yeah. help me help me mm -hmm. and Tuvok says you know keep fighting keep fighting from within but uh Tyrion eventually regains control over Kess's body and disables Tuvok by throwing him into the throwing him across the room. Is that where you meant it yes, was telepathic? That part. Yes. I thought it was because, physical. No, because if he's if he's overtaken her body, it's just his consciousness that's in there. His strength doesn't go into her. We do go to the go briefing ahead. room. 
from here. I think, do we go right to the briefing room? Yeah, we go right to the briefing room where Janeway, Chakotay, Paris, Kim, and Neelix. Yeah. Everybody's sitting so close together. Why are we all sitting so close together? I didn't notice that. Oh, I did not notice that. Awkward. I thought that again, okay. David Livingston sometimes has, oh, I want to put this lens here. Everybody sit close together and mm. overlap shoulders in an odd, okay. stiff way. It was all just right. oddly, oddly staged, I thought. I didn't have a problem with that. It didn't okay. bother me, but but clearly it bothered you, and you saw that. Yeah, it just um, felt state. It felt fake to me. And but I did like that. Neelix wants to be a hero. He wants to go to the service and help. Yes, um, definitely. That was great. Tyrion calls. By the way, when we're in the briefing room, gives a friendly warning. Um, you know, you guys need to get out of here. Like I could destroy you, but yeah. just get out of here because you did save my life, and I'm not a horrible person. And we do notice the headaches are getting worse. Hmm. And um, Tyrion refuses to fall asleep, uh, but yep. he still falls asleep at sitting up. And that's in the dream state is where Kess confronts him. And now we're in Kess's quarters and we realize that this is, uh, this is gonna be a battle that will continue. Um, yeah, this is sort and, of, this uh, was an odd directorial moment for me too. I, I felt mm -hmm. like, you know, it pushed into Kess's eye and then it pulls out of Tyrion's eye. And now they're in this dream conversation, but it was still, it was unclear to me that it was a dream conversation. It felt almost like it needed to be much more stylized in the mm. design or the costume okay. or the lighting or the something. It just felt yep. like felt like any other scene except for the pushing into the eye. Not your cup of tea. No. Um, well, basically, Tyrion is saved by the Ilari doctor. The Ilarian doctor pulls Tyrion out of that uh, that stupor, and uh, he's like, I could, I could barely pull you out. And then he, again, he he keeps giving Tyrion the suggestion: you really need to choose another body. Mm -hmm. Tyrion flips out and decides, well, time to use my mind powers to make your five, your six nostrils, your eight nostrils, <laughs> one, two, three, your six nostrils bleed. And so uh, he kills him. Clearly, yeah. he's the, he takes that Ilari doctor out. Um, and he says, I'm doctor. stronger than ever. <laughs> yeah. To an empty room, uh, to nobody yeah, there. Yeah, to an empty room. And then we go back to, it's interesting because we keep going from one scene to another scene in the same setting. So we went from yeah. where he kills the Alari doctor and then there's basically a, a, a transition to uh, yet again inside the Imperial Hall, a scene inside there where Kess talks to uh, uh, everyone and says that, that uh, sorry, Tyrion as Kess says that he's going to marry Amaron mm -hmm. to really kind of make his rule legitimate by you know marrying uh, the son of uh, the Altark. And Tyrion wants Amaron and Nori to be close. So you have this little side hush conversation where he's suggesting basically a, a polyamorous relationship. He's like, yeah. I want all of us, all three of us to be yeah. close. And yeah. I thought, whoa, look at that. Uh, pushing the envelope there, Voyager, with the uh, polyamorous relationship suggestion. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, it's, it's, it gets very confusing, <laughs> a lot of it. The... Yeah, it's polyamorous. It's it's very fluid sexually, whether it's Kess's yeah. female body or Tyrion's male um, subconscious mm -hmm. personality, or it was just hard to tell what's what and who's who. But um, but yeah. yes, there's that suggestion. And then I love that right. we see Paris rescuing Tuvok. Um, we cut Look to this. Cut to Tuvok in his in his cell. And the away yeah. team begins their attack, and there's Paris by himself, uh, um, trying to save. Uh, I yes, I like that Robbie because for me this is almost like tracking from the end of Future's End, because of that that odd couple relationship between Paris oh, and Tupac yeah. that was established there, and now they sort of bring uh -huh. it into this episode with Paris saving his odd couple buddy. Tuvok yeah. from prison. So I, I kind of like that. Uh, the fact that you guys uh, were paired up again in this episode. It, it was a strange little thing because I come into his cell, get him, and then we go through this cave tunnel mm -hmm. and I go to step over somebody. I assume I knocked them out earlier. 
Yeah, that's weird. You and clearly to- shot that guy. So, so why is he conscious again? You why know, so he, it's- he all of a sudden is strong <laughs> enough to not only grab me by the leg and trip me, yeah. but to engage me in some fight when I already mm-hmm. just took him out moments before. Right. It was <laughs> it was an odd beginning to that little action fight sequence, but it was fun to do my own yeah. stunts. I always like doing stunts. Yeah. It reminded me that yeah. Friday at work when I was directing uh, for Turner and Hooch, we had a stuntman go over and fall and hit the ground, and he broke his collarbone Friday. Oh. And this was a stuntman taking the fall. So when I saw that scene where the stuntman grabbed me and I fell over, yeah. I was like, wow. Often as an actor, I would do stunts. I'm not saying it was super brave of me or anything, but like accidents can happen and so yeah i i get why sometimes with shows you know when i was an actor i wanted to do all my stunts or i know you did too you love doing your own stunts but they would tell us nope we've got a stunt double they're going to do this part and you'll just do the you know the close-up part yeah uh, because anything can happen so uh, yep yeah agreed that, that was a nice scene i like that little rescue tuvok and then we uh we go back into the hall and there's Janeway and, and Neelix and uh, the rest of our team showing up. Uh, Chakotay and Demos. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> you and guys aren't with them though, right? The no. attack is just Janeway, Neelix, Chakotay and Demos. Right? Exactly. Yep. And that's the, that's where, when I, when I came up with my, um, my, my limerick, uh, one of my lines was Neelix so spry, right? Because this is the attack uh, yep. scene where Neelix like jumping on top of the table and i th- i thought he was gonna do a forward roll off of that i'm like what the heck is going on but it just he leads the charge yeah. <laughs> and, and i really i really was excited to see that that was probably my favorite i know me too that's my favorite moment in this entire episode why because this is truly the redemption scene for Neelix oh, yeah. after he totally just chickened out in false prophets against That's the Ferengi. And he's like, oh no, don't kill me. Oh, please. And it's just like, he, Neelix is just charging into the face of death. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's great. We see Neelix uh, finally uh, corner Tyrion or Kess in Kess's body. Mm-hmm. And he sets his phaser to stun, stuns her, and then goes over and puts the, uh, they put the, um, Synaptic stimulator. Synaptic stimulator, and the uh, subconscious is removed, mm-hmm. but or we think it's removed. But what what we didn't realize is, in a moment before before that happened, the personality was put into Amaron. Amaron, thank you. The the younger prince. Mm-hmm. The hands touched for a split second, and I yeah. thought, wait a minute, did they really transfer? Yes, they did transfer right there. Yeah. They transferred very quickly in that split second and they figure that out and they put the device on Amaron's face and he's finally downloaded out of Amaron and everyone else and removed. So, so Robbie, here's the question. Yes. Where did Tyrion go? Is he inside the stimulator? I thought he was inside the what? stimulator that he was removed okay. or yeah. is he dead or is or he... is he just, yeah, is he gone, gone? Is he into the ethos? Is like, he, is he yeah. just scattered amongst the cosmos? What is he? Look at that. I'm already rhyming now. Ethos, cosmos. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I assumed it was downloaded into that thing. So we've got a right. little here in, uh, in our in our sick face. He's on a shelf. We go back on Voyager, Tuvok's meditating with Cass. She, she says, you know, she doesn't think she can go on with her life. Uh, with everything that's happened. And he's like, you know what? You're not responsible for what what happened there. Um, Mm -hmm. But Tuvok says, you are not the same person. And Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have to decide, you know, where you go with your life. I thought that was an interesting little foreshadowing, little foreshadowing of Kess's character down down the road of you know her sort of taking mm. ownership and deciding what to do and all those things so uh, this is my process with every episode that we recap yeah and i start thinking immediately what's the theme what's the theme and i go through and watch the story and i keep thinking what's the theme and really i didn't have anything to talk about until tuvok and kessa's quarter when he's meditating with her and he talks about you know how you are no longer the same person and in the course of your life will change as a result and then the course uh the course is up to you, you know, what mm-hmm. direction you want to take it in. And so for me, the, the theme really is about Kess was in a major traumatic experience. Her brain was being basically taken over by another 
consciousness, another entity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and she's having to deal with fighting him and, and just, just high trauma all throughout. Right. Yeah. So really Kess is a victim of uh, post traumatic stress disorder. It's a PTSD thing right here for me. Um, huh. And there, and I really feel that that, that you know, the, the theme there is, is how to come to grips with that. Um, how to, to realize, to accept the fact that you are not the same person. Cause a lot of times you try to fight that, you know, like, no, no, I'm still the, who I was before battle before uh -huh. the, tra the, the traumatic experience. Uh, but no, I mean, you, you, you have to accept that you have um, gone through that. And that's yeah. the first, that's the first step to moving on with your life is acceptance of the traumatic situation mm -hmm. and understanding mm -hmm. that you, you, you know, through no fault of your own, you were placed in this, in this situation and to move on, you must accept first. Um, so I think that's really the life lesson that I got from this. What, what about you? What did you find it? My life lesson was power hungry is bad. <laughs> that's my life lesson. Okay. <laughs> that, you know, that this sort of hunger for power where you're willing yeah. to do anything is just, uh, it's bad. I don't, I don't know. So it's a cautionary, it's a cautionary, it's a cautionary tale, tale, right? Like, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Of uh, letting your power corrupts. And, yeah. Yep. Power corrupts. And you see it in every, every phase of life. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you, it's, it doesn't matter what it is, what mm -hmm. occupation, what business mm -hmm. that you're in. Um, power has always corrupted people. And, and that is the most difficult thing to step outside of yourself and then acknowledge that, oh my gosh, I'm changing for the worse. And that's so, right. That's uh, right. That, that's, that's a harder task than, than, than most people can handle to be perfectly honest, you know, cause when you're wrapped up in that situation of having that power, you feel like you can do no wrong and you feel mm -hmm. like you aren't doing anything wrong, that you are being a good guy. You know, mm -hmm. um, like I love how like mafia, like Italian mafioso guys call themselves good guys because they consider themselves good. They don't consider mm -hmm. themselves doing bad things, but you know, um, so yeah. So a cautionary well, tale. That's a I good think lesson. bad bad guys never think they're doing bad things. No, no, they never. Every no. every character yeah. uh, that you play thinks they're doing the right thing. They Correct. really do. I, mm -hmm. you know, For the I good always, of of all, right? Yeah, so. I always felt that as an actor, like you couldn't play a bad guy. You couldn't play a bad guy who is aware that they're doing bad things. You can only play a bad yeah. guy who thinks they're doing what is absolutely appropriate. And that actually goes back to when we were talking about the guest star that played Resh and and how maybe not maybe, but his his performance was so large, it was so mm -hmm. big, it was too mm -hmm. big that I almost feel that Jennifer in that first scene when she's in a couple of scenes. I don't feel like she needed to affect that, that voice. Like mm -hmm. she, she didn't have to get all like that. You know, she right, could have just, right. she's a good guy. You know what I'm saying? What we just talked about. Because if you play it that way, then it doesn't cause you to create voices to sort of match that character. And I felt like Jennifer uh, at times was a little guilty of that where she would fall into that. Well, I've got to have mm -hmm. this really resonant low voice. But the reality is if you're, if you were, overtake if your consciousness is overtaken by somebody else you're still going to talk the way you talked before you were taken over because it's still your voice it doesn't yeah. belong to that guy as good of a job as jennifer has done in the past and as good of a job as she did in this episode which is definitely not easy to pull this off mm -hmm. i did feel that there were times that she could have not tried so hard and in terms of affecting her voice to make it sound really resonant or really low, you know? I feel like I remember on in filming this episode that Jennifer really made a big leap to play this role, to play this kind of, you know, horrible character, this power-hungry, mm -hmm. authoritative, you know, um, intimidating character. I feel like I remember Jennifer's personality changed a bit as we were shooting it. I, as I recall, oh. I remember like seeing her, like she was not that she was in character all the time, but a little bit of that. Right. I vague, I remember vaguely like the crew kind of saying, you know, commenting and, 
noticing like oh yeah jennifer's like she's in character today and really (laughs) (laughs) jennifer would you like wait would you like a snack from uh the craft services table get away from me yeah yeah, (laughs) i don't remember that happening (laughs) no but i think it was a little bit of like people could feel like she had to stay in that sort of intensity yeah 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 um so ensign martin dying uh the uncredited Ensign Martin and the, I think that brings the total of our crew to like 12 uh, yeah. that have died so far. Someone should, someone will do this running count for us. They're going to go back and, and get this down for us, but that sounds about right. We, we've about had 12 a few people, people that we've yeah. lost. We don't have a big ship, so we got to be careful. No. Or we got to start having careful. a lot more babies and yeah. Uh, yeah, bringing this uh, total up. Uh. Anyway, that was great. It was Great to watch. I'm glad it's over. Let's move on to another episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> Zero to 10. Zero to 10. What's your rating? It's hard because I don't want to, um, like, I appreciate the work that, that Jennifer did. I appreciate the the thought behind the story and the writing. And I, I like I said, I often love David Livingston's direction, but not this time. Yeah, I would give this a two, honestly, a two out of 10. Whoa! Oh, you smacked that down there, didn't you? Not my favorite. I'm not gonna go that low, Robbie. Okay. I can't go low. I okay. can't go that low. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a five. So I'm gonna I'm gonna knock it up a few notches. So, okay. Okay. Uh, that's all. You know. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys, for uh, tuning in. Yes. Thank you very much. If you're a Patreon patron, stick around. Uh, for your bonus material and um, and for the rest of you we will see you next week when we review the Q and the gray the Q and the gray is next week it is oh that'll be fun I got a lot to talk about that one yeah I, I, I didn't know that was next week's but now I do so that'll be fun all right guys see you all later. right bye